this, the first thing that I probably need to do is make an apology to you because I left my mic on during worship service. And so I guess we all made it. If you can stand it, I guess I can too. But um, I know that wasn't pleasant for nobody probably. The Lord says to make a joyful noise, and I've fulfilled that scripture this morning. I've just made a bunch of noise. But it was joyful. I am thankful. And uh, I guess we've made it through it, but I, I do want to apologize. Um, Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 12. Brother Scotty, thank you, sir. Uh, you and Nate, Brother Nathan, thank you all for your, for your ministry. Thank you this morning for um, just singing about Jesus and bringing honor, praise, and glory to him, for he alone is worthy. Glad to be a part of that, man. What a blessing it is uh, to be able to worship the Lord. How refreshing it is to be in the presence of God for the people of God. I'm so very thankful for that this morning, that the Lord has already blessed us uh, with a fresh touch, a fresh anointing, His presence among His people. What a blessing that truly is for us all. Proverbs 14, verse number 12. Listen to what this says. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. We need you today. We can do nothing without you today. But we want to do nothing without you. If you're not leading, then, Lord, we don't want to follow. If you're not blessing, then we don't want to be a part of it. We want you to do the work that only you can do. And, Father, that's what we're asking for. You tell us that if we draw nigh to you, you'll draw nigh to us. And the best way we know how this morning, we want to draw nigh, humbly asking you to do your work among your people. Lord, speak to me, speak through me. Use me for your honor and your glory. I am nothing without you, but I realize I can do all things through you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm sure that most of you, like myself, have been following intently the news coverage over what has happened um, this last week out in Uvalde, Texas. The uh, mass shooting that happened out there has really rocked the nation, and rightly so. It's broken my heart, and um, listen, I know it has yours as well, but if, for those of you who don't know, 21 innocent people were killed when an evil man decided to do something evil. There was uh, 19 students at an elementary school that were killed on sight along with two teachers. And then the, uh, the gunman himself was killed by law enforcement later on um, after all of that took place. That comes on the heels of what happened in the state of New York just a few weeks ago. You may remember where a man went into a grocery store and killed 10 people there. And um, it seems as though these have become uh, a very common occurrence in the world that we live in, that we're currently in. And I don't know about you, but that breaks my heart. Um, and it worries me for the future that we have. And it should you as well. It's something that we really need to be thinking about and finding the answer to fix. Would you agree with that this morning? And so, um, it hadn't always been this way. I, I remember, you know, when, when I was um, in high school, and that, that I graduated in 1997, 25 years ago. And um, it's hard, it's, it sounds funny even saying that because it don't feel that way. Me and 
Brother Scotty was at my daughter's graduation just the other night after it was over. We were talking, and I said, man, it feels like we were just doing this, and it really does. It's just time flies that quickly. It don't feel like it's been that long ago, and really, that's not a really long time, uh, 25 years, but a lot has changed even since then. I can remember when I was in school, man, walking across the parking lot um, going in in the mornings um, to homeroom, you would walk across the parking lot and there'd be pickup trucks everywhere in that parking lot with gun racks in the back window and it just full of guns. I mean, shotguns and rifles of all different flavors, just about anything you could think of. And nobody ever dreamed that something like that would happen in a school. None of us ever saw anything like that really until, you know, the Columbine shooting in 1999. And so, uh, how did we get from where we were then to where we are now? I was reading a survey just this past week in preparation for this message on a survey that was done in 1955 with American high school teachers. And they were asked in 1955 what their greatest problem with students was. Do you know what they said? Chewing gum in class. That was their biggest problem in 1955, and, and look where we are today. So how did we get there? How did we get uh, to where we are? I think that's something that we all need to think about. What's the answer for the problems that we face? Now, I've heard a lot of answers this week, and I'm sure that probably you have too. Now, my only problem is, with the answers I'm hearing, they're answering the wrong problem. And I see that over and over again. I'm sure you do too. I've heard these people who say, well, I'll tell you what we need to do. We just need to pass more gun laws. We need stricter gun laws. And if we just had that, then we could stop these evil people from doing these evil things. Now, my problem with that is that criminals are criminals for a reason. Do you understand this morning criminals are criminals because they break law? I mean, that's what a criminal is, right? And so... How can you pass new laws and change somebody's behavior who never obeyed the old laws? The laws we have now. How is that going to fix anything? And statistics tell us that it doesn't. It doesn't. So you cannot fix the problem simply by legislating new laws. It don't work. It's not going to work. A lot of people say, well, I'll tell you what we need to do. We just need to ban guns altogether. Let's just get rid of them. First of all, that's impossible. That's never going to take place. You're never going to put that cat back in the bag now. I promise you that. That's not going to happen. And even if we did ban guns, is that really going to stop what's going on? I mean, to say we're going to stop evil people from murdering innocent people by banning guns, it's just like saying I'm going to ban pencils because of wrong answers that people put on a test. How many of you know it's not the pencil's fault? It's the one holding it. It's not the gun's fault. It's the evil person pulling the trigger. Now, a gun or a pencil is simply a tool. And it's used by good people, and sometimes it gets used by evil people, but it's not the tool's fault. And so sometimes we try and address 
the wrong problem, which gives us the wrong answers. The problem we need to be talking about is the problem of the human heart. It's who we truly are in our fallen condition because of the sin that we're all born into. That's what we need to talk about. That's what we must talk about if we're really going to make a difference. If there's really going to be change. Just like the scripture says. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end of that way is death. If we simply go by our own imagination, our own feelings, on what we think we need to do, that way leads to destruction. What we must do is get right understanding of the truth because truth sheds light into the darkness. Now, let me tell you what I think the real problem is. The real problem that we are facing is when you create an environment where evil thrives, guess what evil is going to do? It's going to thrive. C.S. Lewis said something years ago that I absolutely love. He said that all darkness is, is the absence of light. That is really good. See, if, if somehow this morning we could cover up all these windows and cover up that back door and, and turn all these lights out and get it completely dark in here, when you flip those light switches off, when you uh, take away any um, opportunity for light from the outside to come in, when you cut off the light, then guess what happens? That darkness fills its place. When you have an absence of truth, when you have an absence of light, that creates a void that darkness will readily feel. Certainly feel. And that's what we're seeing in the world we live in. We're seeing the absence of truth, the absence of light, and darkness has taken its place. And it's not getting better, folks. It's getting worse. Amen? I'm not trying to be a negative Nancy or a Debbie Downer this morning by no means. I'm not a pessimist. And the truth is, I like to call myself an optimist, but I don't know that I'm really that. Let me tell you what I want to be, a biblical realist. I want to get a hold of the truth of the Word of God, see what it says, because that's what truly changes us. That's what sheds light, truth, into dark places, into the dark world that we live in. Darkness has filled where light, truth, has been left out. I read to you last week how that only about 73% of professing Christians believe in the absolute truth of the Word of God. Folks, that's people who profess Jesus. That's people who claim the name of Christ. That's people who are in churches every week. And my question is, how in the world can you claim allegiance to a Lord who is the Word if you don't believe the written Word? How can you do that? How can you say you trust in Christ and not trust in the Bible? There's a disconnect there. Jesus is the Word of God 
made flesh, the Bible says. It's amazing what's going on in the world that we live in. And I'm not trying in any way to lay all the blame at, at the door of the White House or the door of, of, of the, our lawmakers in this country, even though there's a lot of blame to go around there. But we need to lay some of that blame at the door of the church house. What is being preached in churches where they say they don't even believe in the absolute standard of God's Word? That tells me there's an absence of light. And where there's an absence of light, there will always be darkness. Let me give you an example. When it comes to the transgender issue that we're facing in the world we live in, see, I believe really all that is is an attack on absolute truth. There's no doubt about it. People who are struggling with transgender issues have problems that need to be addressed. And I'm not trying to be uh, overly critical and I'm not trying to be harsh toward those people, but I am saying we cannot coddle people in their problems and get them fixed. We've got to face where we are and deal with it. I seen a church sign just last week made so much sense to me. It said, don't fake it till you make it, face it till you make it. I like that. You've got to face problems, real problems, head on. But this transgender issue is truly an attack on what the absolute truth of the Word of God says. Genesis chapter 1, um, verse number 26, the Bible says, God said, let us make man in our own image. Then in verse 27, it says, male and female created he them. If you believe it this morning, say amen. So scripturally speaking, there's only two genders. If you want to get down to where the rubber meets the road, well, listen, what scripture says the truth of the Word of God states there's two genders. That's not only true scripturally. How many of you know that's true biologically? We know what gender you are according to the chromosomes you have. That's, that's not even a debate. It can be shown by a simple blood test. That's truth. That's light. Whether you want to agree with it or not, whether you feel like it or not, does not change the fact that it's true. It's been true for the last 6,000 years of recorded history. That's always been true. Two genders. And now some states even are recognizing 27 different genders. Why? Because where there's an absence of light, dark will fill that void. It's scripturally true. It's biologically true that there are two genders. It's anatomically true that there are two genders. A lot of this stuff that we're dealing with today, I'm not trying to be crude and I don't mean to be harsh, but I do want to be real with you. A lot of this could be solved by the peep test. Just look. Take a trip to the hardware store. When you go to a hardware store and you're buying Plumbing supplies. Do you know they've got male and female adapters for a reason? They're created for a purpose to fit together. Even plumbers know <laughs> that male is made for female and female is made for male. And that's as far as I'm going to go with that. I'm just saying 
Anatomically, it's true there are only two genders. But when we choose to go by feeling instead of go by fact, there's an absence of light that darkness feels. And that's not just true for the transgender. That's, that's true for a lot of the things that we're dealing with. We need to know what God's word says. The scripture tells us, now it, it hasn't always been like that in our country. You know that. We, we've seen a slide, and we've been on a slippery slope for a while, but in the last 10 years especially, we have seen a slide way far away from what we once knew. We have enjoyed in this nation the blessings of God for many years. In the short period of time that America has been a nation, it has been blessed immensely. Would you agree with me this morning? Oh, there's no doubt. It's been blessed greater than, I want to say, any other nation in the history of the world. There's no doubt about that. And, and, and there's a reason for that. Psalm 33 and 12, write this scripture down. You can go back and look at it later. Psalm 33 and 12 tells us that blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Do you me tell you why America has been blessed like it has been in its short history compared to the rest of the nations of the world? I'll tell you why. Because America was founded upon the principles of God's word by godly men for God's glory. You say, brother, do you really believe that? You mean to tell me that's what you think is true? Well, that's not just what I think is true. That's what I know is true. And let me tell you how I know that. I know that because I've read the history of what actually took place when this country was founded. And I encourage you to do the same thing. How many of you have ever heard of a man by the name of Roger Baston? Roger Baston was an economist that lived many years ago. And he was once talking to a South American president. And they were discussing the differences between South America and North America. Any of you who have ever been to South America, you can certainly see the difference. Any of you who have ever been to South Texas and just rode by the Rio Grande River and looked across, you can see the difference. There's a difference in what has happened in South America and in North America. Amen? I know that's technically Central America, but you get my point. I'm just saying there's a huge difference in the direction each of those nations have actually went. Roger Baston was talking to this South American president, and the South American president said, I'll tell you the difference in South America and in North America and why God has blessed North America like he has. He said those who founded South America were searching for gold. Those who founded North America were seeking for God. And he's right. How do we know that? We know that because of what our founding fathers wrote all the way back in 1620. 1620, the Mayflower Compact. You can pull this up and read it for yourself, but I'm just going to read for you the purpose they stated for coming to this country. Listen to what they said. For the glory of God and the advancement of Christ in the name of God our Father. Amen. That's how they ended 
the Mayflower Compact. That's amazing to me. Their, their purpose that they stated for coming here, again, is for God's glory and the advancement of the Christian faith. So I know the first 13 original colonies were founded for the purpose of the advancement of the gospel. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Let me give you something else. How many of you know when we fast forward from 1620 all the way up to 1776 when our, um, our nation, our, we declared our independence from, from Great Britain and, and they wrote the Declaration of Independence. Listen to what was said. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created. Everybody say created. To be created, you have to have a creator. What did these men believe? They believed that God, our creator, has given us certain unalienable rights. And he said, we hold these truths to be self-evident. We're not even going to discuss it. All you got to do is look at you, look, open your eyes and look. God has given us, listen to me now, the gift of this nation and has blessed it because it was founded upon godly principles set forth in the absolute truth of God's word. Do you know that 55 men who framed the Constitution were devout Christians? 55 men were said to be bold, devout Christians, and 20 were said to be believing Christians. But 55 of those men were sold out for Jesus. And we see that when we read their writings. Listen to the writings of James Madison. James Madison said this, we have staked the future of the American civilization not upon the power of government. But listen, for, far from it. We have staked the future upon the capacity of each American to govern ourselves according to the Ten Commandments of God. You say, now wait a minute, brother. You said the Ten Commandments don't save us. No, it doesn't, but it's a great way to live. Keeping the Ten Commandments can never save you, spiritually speaking. It takes God's grace to save you. But I tell you what, the Ten Commandments may not keep you out of hell, but they'll keep you out of jail. The Ten, the ten Commandments will, will, will teach you how to love God and love your neighbor. And so James Madison got it. He said, we're not staking the American civilization and what we're trying to build here on what government can do because government left unchecked. Kills millions and millions and millions of people. We've known that because of the last century. So he says, we're not staking this on government. We're staking this on the, listen to me now, each American living in a society governed by God's truth. That's powerful. So you can't tell me this nation was not founded upon godly principles by godly men. Let me give you some more. Let me give you Daniel Webster in 1820, and I really like this one. Listen to what Daniel Webster said. Let us not forget the religious character of our origin. Our fathers brought, brought, uh, bought here, brought here excuse me, their high veneration for the Christian faith. They journeyed by its light and labored by its hope. That's so good. 
Listen to what Andrew Jackson said. He said, the Bible is the rock upon which our republic rests. He said that in 1845. Listen to what Abraham Lincoln said in 1860. In regards to this great book, meaning the Bible, I have to say it is the best gift given to man. Without it, we would not have known right from wrong or the love of our Savior. These are leaders of where America was. <laughs> Why has America been blessed? Because blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And then we fast forward to where we find ourselves today. When you take yourself out from under the blessing of God, then God can't bless you like he wants to. Would you agree with that? It's, I don't believe it. That, that there, there's nothing in me that believes God doesn't want to bless America again. There's nothing in me that believes God can't bless America again because he certainly can. But, but if I'm a biblical realist, I realize that before God can bless America, America must repent. And what I mean America must repent, I mean I must repent. I'm America. And you must repent. You're America. We are America and we must repent. We must turn our face toward the Lord. We must repent of our sin and trust again in the God of our salvation. If we want God's blessing. And I'm going to tell you something. I certainly want God's blessing, don't you? I want it not only for myself. I, I'm not pulling any punches here. I mean, I, I, I want to experience the blessing of God in my day-to-day -day living in the country that I love and I'm thankful for. I want to see my kids experience the blessing of God in the country I love and I'm thankful for. I want to see my grandkids and my great-grandkids to enjoy the blessing of God in the country I love and I'm so thankful for. Don't you? Well, if that's going to happen... It certainly can, but there has to be some repentance. There has to be us turning back to him. Because again, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. We've come so far from God's standard of what his truth says. We've come so far from our founding principles. And I don't know about you, but it certainly makes me sick Every time I think about all that God wants to do and all that God can do, but somehow, some way, we seem to forget where we've came from. We seem to forget who God is and what God has done. Turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 85. I want to give you three quick points this morning, and I'm going to be done. First of all, I want you to see the possibility of revival. Keep your place there in Psalm 85. We'll get back to it in just a minute. Brother, if you will, please put for me on the screen Isaiah 59, 1 through 2. Isaiah 59, 1 through 2. I want everybody to look at the screen and we're going to read that. Then we'll get to Psalm 85. The possibility of revival lies in the person of the Lord himself, of God Almighty. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. Let me tell you what Satan would love for you to believe. 
Satan would love for you to believe that God is not like he used to be. Satan would love for you to believe that God can't do what he used to do. Satan would love for you to believe that somehow God's got sick or God's got old and God's not able to do the things that we read about on the pages of Scripture. Let me tell you this morning, you need to understand God has not changed. God is still able. You say, oh, no, wait a minute, Brother Israel. Things ain't like they used to be. I mean, now we've got all these problems that we see plastered on the television screen every day. Now we've got all of these things we're dealing with, like addiction and uh, like the, uh, the, the sex industry. And what we're dealing with um, all of these problems from foreign powers. And things just ain't like they used to be. Let me tell you something. They may not be, but God has not changed. Our situation may have changed. Our circumstances may have changed. The world we live in may look different, but God remains the same. And the possibility of a revival, a Holy Ghost-filled revival that hates sin, honors Jesus, and points this country back in the direction it needs to go, it's possible, but only through the person of God. Psalm 50, or excuse me, Isaiah 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened. Isn't that good? Really, that he's just saying God's still able. That it cannot save, nor his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. How do you believe God still listens to his people? He's still listening. He's not shut a deaf ear to his people. And we need to take advantage of the great privilege and power of prayer. Now look what else it says here. Look, look at the rest of it. But your iniquities have separated you from God. Why do we find ourselves in the shape we find ourselves? Not only as a nation, but also as individuals. Because we choose to live in a way that's unpleasing to the Lord. And it's our sin that hinders God's work in our life. That's true for me, true for you, true for us all. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Again, I'm a biblical realist. And if we want God's blessing, we've got to do things God's way. And the way we do things God's way is repent of our sin that is hindering God's work in our own life. As individuals. That's where it starts with me. <laughs> The possibility of revival is certainly there. God's hand is not shortened. God is still able, if you believe it, say amen. Not only do you need to see the possibility of revival, but you need to see the people of revival. Look at this. Psalm 85, starting in verse number 4. Psalm 85, verse number 4. You should already be turned there. He says, restore us. O God of our salvation, and cause your anger toward us to cease. Look at this. Verse number, verse number five. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? And then verse six tells us, will you not revive us again? What's David doing here? David is a man who loves this country, the nation of Israel. And Israel has turned their back on God and because of their iniquity, just like it said in Isaiah 59, God had shut his ear to them, and they were not experiencing all the blessing God wanted to give them. Amen. And David's praying, he says, Lord, will you not revive? We need a fresh touch from you. Revival is when God does a supernatural work in the life of one or more believers that awakens them for kingdom ministry. 
We need that. I need it in my life. You need it in your life. And I'm not talking about a, a, a week of services. Yes, God can work in that, and God does work in that, but I'm talking about a, a lifestyle change. I'm talking about God so doing a work in me that I long for Him, and I burn for Him as His light in a dark world. I'm talking about God working on me, working through me, working in me and on me, to be all that he's called me to be by his power. I'm talking about resting in the peace of God, realizing the purpose of God, and fulfilling the plan of God. That's what I'm talking about. A revival that impacts my heart. And you have a revival that impacts your heart. And God does a work in us that awakens us to impact this world for his kingdom. That's how things get changed. That's how fathers become the father they need to be. That's how husbands become the husband they need to be. Listen, that's how families become what God wants them to be. And when that happens, then we have churches that God wants, needs, and can use. Because all in the world this is just a collection of families. Are you getting what I'm saying? But it has to start with me. And so the people of revival is us. It's me. It's you. And David is crying out to the Lord. Lord, won't you revive us again? Is revival possible? Yes. For who? God's people. And let me give you another one. Let me give you the power of revival. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14. Y'all remember this scripture? Most of you have heard it many times. Man, just because you've heard it don't mean it's lost any power. It's still true. Still real and it's still relevant. 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse number 14. Watch this. If my people, which are called by my name, or excuse me, 7, brother, verse number 14. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land. Now what's he talking about? First of all, what we got to do as the people of God is humble ourselves. And listen, the power of revival is found in the person of God and he chooses to listen to his people when they repent to him, when they call to him, when they choose to humble themselves and pray and seek his face. Now let me tell you something. There's a difference in seeking the face of God and the hand of God. Would you agree with that? To seek God's hand means I seek his blessing. And sometimes that's how we do it. Listen, we do for the Lord because we think we can get from the Lord. Don't we do that? I think all of us do to a certain degree. We think, man, if we cross all the T's and dot all the I's and, and, and check all the boxes, that somehow then God's going to do for us what's needed. Now let me tell you something, folks. You can't expect God's blessing when you do things God's way. I believe that. But that shouldn't be our main motivation. We don't serve God to get from God what we can get. We serve God. We worship God. We honor God simply because of who He is. He is King of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is our Heavenly Father. He is our peace. He is the light in this world. He is our provider, our protector, our healer, 
our righteousness. He's our Lord. And we serve Him, not because of what we can get from Him, but because of who He is. We humble ourselves and we seek His face and turn from our wicked ways. That's repentance. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. My heart is broken for what I see in the world we live in, for what's happened to the country I love. I, I'm not making any apologies this morning. I'm going to tell you that America, with all its problems, is still the greatest nation on the face of the earth. And I'm thankful for this country, and I'm proud to be an American, and I'm thankful for the rights and privileges we've been afforded here. And you ought to be thankful too. Hey, listen to me. You ought to stand for the flag. You ought to respect those who've given their lives for the belief that is America, the idea that is America. Y'all do that. That's what we're celebrating this weekend. That's what Memorial Day is all about. We're remembering those who gave the ultimate sacrifice so that we can enjoy the freedoms we have. And we are to honor that. Nothing wrong with being patriotic. Nothing wrong with being proud of your country. But you've got to call a spade a spade. You've got to realize where you are so you can realize where you need to be. And this morning, I'm thankful to be American, but listen to me now. America needs God. God doesn't need America. We don't need more laws. We need changed hearts. We don't need the government telling us what we can do and what we can't do. According to the freedoms that's been promised to every citizen. We, we don't need that. What we need is changed hearts. And that can only happen when God does the work that only he can do. And he promises. I've got the power to heal your land. But first, you've got to humble yourself. You've got to seek my face. You've got to turn from your wicked ways. And I'm going to hear you. I'm going to heal your land. I believe that. Everybody stand together this morning. I don't know what the Lord has spoke to your heart today. I can only speak for myself. I don't know how God has convicted you. I can only speak to myself. But I do know this. God is ready, willing, and able to do for you what needs doing. If you're here this morning, you've not yet been born again in the family of God and the Holy Spirit of God has been convicting your heart showing you your need for a Savior drawing you unto himself then today is the day of salvation the Bible says whosoever shall call upon him can be saved that's you that's me if the Lord's dealing with your heart this morning don't ignore that be submissive to the will of God as a believer Maybe you just want to come pray for our country, for our leaders. Maybe this morning you just want to come pray for your family, for yourself.
It's me. It's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. I can't speak for everybody else. But I know where I am and where I need to be. And I'm telling you, whatever you need today, these altars are open and God is able. So don't you wait. You be submissive to the will of God the Holy Spirit and allow Him to do His work in your life. This is your invitation. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Break every chain. 